Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. If you would please put your hands together and give a round of applause and welcome to the stage of Probably Science, Mr. Matt Kirshen and Mr. Andy Wood. Thank you. Oh, oh, uh, These are real fans. Look at this. I am... Damn. I, I, I'm blown away this thing came off and happened, and we're blown away that we get to do this. Uh, hey, everyone. Thank you. I'm Matt. That's Andy. Uh, by uh, round of applause, how many of you are listeners to the podcast? All right. Makes sense. Oh. That's so... <laughs> Why does it constantly amaze me that people I, listen I, to this podcast? I don't know. It Wait. shouldn't be a thing. Well, I think it's particularly because Australia is the one place where we actually have a reasonable proportion of listeners, so it's like it... <laughs> Should we... Oh man. 90% because of Will Anderson, but uh, that's... Uh, all right, the, yeah, like, at least everyone who clapped to say they listened to the podcast when I mentioned Will went, yep, yep, that's the reason. All right, that... There's also this slight reason we learned today in the Uber ride over here. I hadn't heard any talk radio in this country before, and... I, yeah, because I, I was like, why are Australians are really into their podcasts? They really seem to like their podcasts, and then a couple of Uber rides of having commercial radio on. Uh, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, uh, it's, the bar I, is not high. I, I don't mean to disparage my broadcasting <laughs> colleagues, but... Colleagues. God, God I love that my Zoom setup in my living room makes us colleagues. Well, <laughs> <professionals>. <laughs> There's honor between broadcasters. This is true. We have a code. <laughs> it's fucking hell. I'm also realizing why they hire so many stand-up comics to do radio as well, because like, oh shit, people who are funny. Uh, oh my god, wow. We, we've, uh, we're, we're five days, six days into this trip, I think? Something like that. We went to Cairns first uh, and saw all the poisonous things. And then... Uh, went down to Sydney. We watched the Super Bowl with expats. That was interesting. Yep, we saw your Australian Super Bowl. Yeah, when in Australia, that's what they say. Go and watch the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Monday. At <laughs> yeah, I know it's really weird. It's so weird to see that. I I, I live in America as well as Andy, and uh, yeah, to see what is like the biggest Sunday afternoon event in America happen on a Monday morning. And to totally forget that the main reason everyone in the States watches it is because all these ad companies spend millions of dollars to drop their big ads during that game. And we get none of those ads because it's Australia. Yes, yeah, so I'm, wa so I'm watching the tweets come through. And I'm like, oh, I guess a friend of mine is in an ad. And, uh, Instead, and they're advertising car companies that I'm pretty sure they're punking us. These companies aren't real. Is there a company called Holden? That's not a car company. <laughs> I saw two ads for that. They're American? Wait, you can buy a Holden in America? I have no, I think they just not. make them in America and then ship them to Australia. Is that, should I say thanks, Trump? Is that a good thing? <laughs> I don't know. That's the only good thing he's done. I don't know. So we also we, we saw some quackers today. Oh, we did. Yes. Well done. You, <laughs> you kept those things. I touched one, and then I found out. Yeah, you don't you don't do that. It's basically like petting a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all the information as well on the island was like, yeah. So the, these. Animals only live on this island, but also because of that, no vegetation that should be on this island lives on this island. They eat the whole fucking... And you go there and it's like, oh, this is like an idyllic, quokka-ridden paradise with la lakes and beautiful coves and beaches. And, and then it, 
And then when, just towards the end of the trip, we went, oh, we'll just, we've got about an hour to kill before we get the boat back. Let's just pop into the museum to find out a bit more about the quokkas and the vegetation. <laughs> and, and then the museum on the way in. Not many quokka and vegetation museums have warnings on the way in about harrowing images you might see. <laughs> Turns out not good things happen on that island. Yeah. Turns out now it's quokkas before, and it was, oh, some bad racist prisons. That was a... Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, America, we, we, uh, we got some dirty hands in that, in that game also, so I get it. But it's, Yeah, and uh, I come from the country that sent most of the people to the, your respective countries <laughs> to do the bad things. So yeah. uh, I think we should bring our guest up indeed, uh, because indeed. Uh, this is someone I wanted to have on the podcast for many years. Oh, we should say, by the way, before we, before, quickly before we bring our guest up, because th there's people who made this possible. And firstly, the grant that we got. <laughs> to yeah, it's come from out here. Inspiring Australia, which is a science outreach program. That's a thing. We're outreach people. We're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> this is work. legally outreach. <laughs> I guess this, not the Lord's, like the atheist equivalent of the Lord's work. Yeah, We're this doing is, empirical. The empiricists work here. This sweary nonsense is important outreach that we're doing <laughs> yeah. right now. So that's all good. And, uh, and thank you, Dan Willis, and, and this venue for making this happen. Uh, Dan's yes. up there, and he hosts some of the best shows at this Fringe Festival. Uh, so, yeah, check out all this up. Happening here at the courts and some other places. And I want, to, I want to thank friend of the show, Russell, who also took us out to Rottenness Island today. Yeah, and he was he, also a big part of why we ended up in Perth on this brief yes, trip. Yes, thank so you, Russell. Yeah, he's also yeah. the guy who came and found me at Burning Man in 2014, and then we sang a Harry, Bel Harry, we sang a Harry Belafonte karaoke song together, which was uh, a Burning which Man. Burning Man means they're legally married. Yeah. Uh, but our but, uh, guest is someone... Uh, one of my favorite comics in the world, one of my favorite people in the world. I, I used to live with this man. Uh, he's based in London still, but he rips it up at all the Australian festivals. Uh, and if you haven't seen his show yet at this festival, I think he has one left this time next week. And fuck, I really urge you to go uh, and check out his stuff. Please welcome onto the stage, Mr. Kerry Marks. Hey, Kerry. Hello, I'm, I'm glad you did that extra bit because for a moment then it was Trump is okay, now here's your guest. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. This is great to do uh, science and beers. <laughs> I like the style. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I see that. My welcome's over, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would carry on until I sat down, but I was totally wrong. Uh, Kerry. It wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be like just three of us sitting around a table with your, your three listeners, but this happens and then... <laughs> I know, we're, we're unfortunately seem to have turned out a crowd here in Perth, so uh, <laughs> we're stuck having to entertain people. It's a, it's a, it's a drag. Uh, how's, how's the whole festival been going, Kerry? You've been um, out here for a week or two? Yeah, it's all great, and I love, I love Perth. It's, uh, it's, it's hot, um, which is a, a good thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's all very lovely people, except, of course, on a Saturday when, uh, when it goes fucking crazy <laughs> and people start killing each other. But no, it's been, it's been really nice, actually. I mean, uh, audiences are really, really up for it out here, you know? I've so I think, but basically, all the shows are good. That's what I've heard, just generally. Is it just that sort of the remoteness of it? The fact that. They've got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> They're desperate. And. Well, you know, there is a bit of that. One of the, one of the best audiences I ever had was uh, I did uh, the Falkland Island years ago. And when you get out to the Falkland Islands, as you arrive, you say hello and they start laughing straight away because they're just so grateful <laughs> that anyone's even come anywhere near them, you know. It's just a face that they haven't seen before. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Uh, someone outside of the gene pool. Wow. I, I googled the Falklands recently because I didn't know a thing about it, and it is desolate. It is. Oh, yeah. I can't believe anybody's still, let alone that someone fought for that. What were they want? Well, there's oil and stuff, isn't there? But they, we, we flew in a helicopter to get to one of the sites, and it was. Uh, and we, we were we were flying for several hours with nothing below us, just just, just ice desert, the occasional believe. sheep, and an angry looking farmer. You know, but there was nothing at all. And then we did a gig on a, on the top of a mountain for uh, uh, 40 soldiers who've been living together for three months with, with no one else at all. Um, and then it snowed. And what happened was we did the gig, and then it snowed heavily. And we, there was one window, and we watched the snow go over the top of the window. And we were snowed in for three days. And believe me, that was I was so pleased the gig went well. Because, because, there is, there is nothing like living with your audience, <laughs> being, being heckled for three days. If you wake up, you're shit, by the way. I'll tell you that. Oh, there he is again. Yeah. <laughs> In his corner. <laughs> he loves that wall. <laughs> it's the furthest away from us he's able to get. But after that, I went to, the, um, I went over to, to Ascension Islands and did a gig there. And it was uh, just the happiest people in the world, you know, they're eating fruit off the tree, literally, sitting in wicker chairs, and they were the hardest audience to perform to ever. <laughs> so I think, I think there's a lot to do with, I, I, ever since then I've realised it really helps if an audience are a bit uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, so uh, the icy conditions do actually help, which is why I think comedy got big in England in the first place, right? Yeah. And then I think uh, I'm big for uncomfortable chairs, pins on chairs. Yeah, people, are, I mean, Dan told me to let the audience know that the toilets are through that door at the back there, but now I'm wondering whether I should have done that. No, no, make them uncomfortable. Just, yeah, just leave you wondering, <laughs> just squirming all, in your seat. All, all those toilet seats have pins on them. We oh, that's true, yeah, yeah, that's how they work. Well, do you know there was evidence that if an audience queues, they enjoy a show more? Do you know that? I didn't know that. They, they, they tested, there were some, some uh, studies done some while ago, and they found if an audience came, did the, the audience come in straight away? I didn't see you. Did you have to queue? All right. Ah, fuck. No queue, all right. <laughs> So whatever, right, everyone out again. Yeah. <laughs> whatever reaction you give is ten percent less than it should be. <laughs> if you're just queued for a while, there's a, there's a, a perfect amount of time apparently that if you if they queue for too long, then they start getting angry. But something like a ten minute queue makes people think this must be good. Well, I know that's so. the same with with charging for gigs because you we notice that as a you know when you're coming up as a comic when you're a new comic you do a lot of gigs that are free to get into because it would be very bad to charge for it. Uh, and, uh, and, but they're a trickier audience because they've invested nothing in it. But then sometimes you'll get to do like these really corporate expensive gigs where they've paid a load of money to get in and then they're really entitled and don't, also don't laugh. But there's like a sweet spot where people go, oh, this is the right amount to have invested in this show. Yeah. <laughs> Charity gigs hate you. Yeah. You know that? They do, don't they? You arrive and do a charity gig and your, your heart's in the right place, but because you're working for free, they don't really care about you. You ever had that? Uh, I, I've heard stories, nightmare stories gigs. about people. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories about people having to follow someone explaining the horror that is the charity, and then, and here's your comedy. And like, here's yeah. how children get burned. Let's go laugh. Like, yeah, oh, that's not doesn't, a good sign. Doesn't help, does no, it? No, no. That's, uh, uh, anyway, the first story we're going to cover is about children getting burned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the best. No, it isn't. <laughs> before, before we do get into this week's side stories, uh, I do, we, I, I do like, we do like to ask our guests what their background in science is. And that's ranged from people who have full-on degrees to people who just blew stuff up in the woods as kids. Or, so. Zero. I've heard of it. Um, 
But I, I, I used to, I used to work as a magician though, so I, I I did a number of shows on on the different pseudosciences and so on. So I have a, a, a fair interest from that point of view. Well, this is something I don't, I I lived with you for many years back in England. And firstly, you read a lot of science books. I noticed yes. you you would always read science books and articles. And particularly, I like science. I'm mostly on on your show as the non-expert. Yeah. Um, my catchphrase during this show is going to be, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I'm going to be saying it regularly. Can you give it some like shoulder shimmy or something to make yeah, it real? What are you like, talking about? Talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. as someone, firstly, as you, someone who worked as a magician, like you, you have, I think, and a comedian, but I think you have a much greater working knowledge of human psychology than the average person. And I think, yeah. Okay, and, well, particularly with, because for a while, one of the shows I did was about uh, the seances I used to run and various, you know, sciences I used to get involved with and so on. Yeah, because you more ran fake seances for a bit. I did, ran would seances. you tell the audience on the way in, I'm a magician, or would you go, you are coming to a seance? No. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I went through a phase of being a full-on cheat, and uh, <laughs> I never really was doing it to make money out of people more, because it just, it just interested me. I mean, fr from a young age, I believed I really could have powers. Do you remember ever believing you had powers? Yeah, I remember. No, I, I learned the hypnotic stare when I was like seven. <laughs> From the back of a comic book? I'll, yeah, no, it's actually it was in a hypnosis book. I got, I'll teach you the, the hypnotic stare. Would you like to learn? Okay, yeah, this is me. Give you. This is what you do. And it, it's, uh, you've got to develop a really powerful stare. And the way you do it is you just every day when you're walking along, like focus on a lamppost that's far away and don't allow yourself to blink until you get to the lamppost. And eventually you develop such a strong stare that it has a power to it. So like the book described how you can stare at the back of someone's neck and you can make them turn round. Right? And so I would practice this all the time. And I got really good at making people turn round against their will. <laughs> and, uh, and what I didn't know is that I didn't think ahead. And the trouble is when they do turn round and look at you, you're, you're staring at them like this. You know, um, of course, there's nothing to it, but I really believe for a while I was able to make people stare. They probably saw my reflection in the window and thought, what's going yeah, on with but that just, People just naturally turn around after a certain amount of time because people just yeah, don't always face in the same direction. And, and then when they do, there's some weird kid staring at them. You're failing to mention the heavy breathing, which is also <laughs> a big part of the turnaround in my experience. But I started from, from uh, that got me interested in that stuff, and then uh, I, w I was asked to run seances at one point, so I started doing those, and, and they were really popular, and they got me lots of friends, but eventually they lost me lots of friends because I couldn't tell people that they hadn't really contacted loved ones that they thought they had, and it was, it was actually quite a sad ending to it all. But I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with the results, though. If they're happy and you do that problem. Right, yeah. Right. I, mean, I, don't, I don't feel bad for all pseudosciences if they aren't... Well, do I? I don't know. Yes, philosophically, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if people feel better because someone lied to them, I don't know. Yeah. Someone in the audience who might not have picked up the mic just said, it's only if you admit to the lie. And I, I don't know, there are really interesting ethical questions like that. I was talking to a doctor friend of mine recently because uh, there's fairly good evidence that placebos have genuine effects, but there's a level to which you have to deceive your patient if you're going to give them a placebo and then but then that's really ethical problems of like well can you lie to a patient because now you back in the day the answer was absolutely you can <laughs> it's for their own good and i'm the doctor but now now there's informed consent and all that kind it's of it's really difficult because there's also other repercussions like uh 
Homeopathy, for example, stops a lot of people getting real medicine that they need. Right. Oh, then you get countries, like, yeah, get countries like India where, where homeopathy gets really big and it actually means the government don't have the responsibility to get proper medicine right. to people. So there is that side of it as well. Yeah, I mean. absolutely. Yeah. I guess I'm more meant like if someone said, your grandfather says he still loves you and you went home feeling happy. Like that's no harm, no foul. You, you didn't perform magic fake surgery to get someone's like yeah. bursting yeah. appendix out. Whereas your grandfather actually has like a microscopic amount of love for you diluted in a lot of hate. <laughs> <laughs> the more you dilute it, the stronger the love gets. That's just grandpa's way. Yeah, it's also where you take it as well. Because lie, you know, if you like, if you're telling a woman that you're, you're really a prince, you know, to, to get her into bed or something, then but that's then a lie, to, right? So mm. I don't think. I think the trouble is, you can say some lies are good and some lies are bad, but overall, yeah, prince one, lies awesome. are lies. But, yeah, uh... that's a good one. It's been very effective. <laughs> Let's just say that prince then had to be whisked away to a diplomatic event the next day, and she never finds out that wasn't a prince. Did you or did you not improve her life? She has this great experience with a prince. This is, this not, I haven't lied about being a prince before. <laughs> this is way too real. This is just... <laughs> I, actually, while we are talking about lies, fucking all of Australia being in on this drop bear bullshit, which... You motherfuckers. Every... Because we put out a survey when we knew we were coming out here uh, and we had like some people could give us their email addresses and say which city they might be able to come to so we could work out whether which cities you come to and we had a little comments bit and at least four or five people said drop beds and I, and I already knew this thing so we... Andy was reading through it when we were. I've in... never heard of drop bears, and and the comments weren't funny enough that it's obviously. So we're, we're in. We land in Cairns. We get an Uber to where we're going, and Andy's like, "What's this drop bears thing?" And I just went, "Oh, it's some weird hoax that all of Australia does for some reason." And the second she hears the word mentioned, suddenly the Uber driver, she just launches into this. Yeah, you know, they get you when you're in your tents and. Uh... <laughs> Like, it was like she was driving a car with a six-year-old who's just asked about Santa, and she's like, shit, I better keep this up. <laughs> but I had just said to Andy, like, no, it's a hoax. It was more like, oh, where did and this hoax I, thing come from? And then I started wondering, oh, I wonder how the hoax started, like, who made up the first story? And she's like, oh, yeah, they're scary at night with the <laughs> teeth. And like, no, we just said... No. It's like asking, what's the history of the Santa Claus mythology? And someone's like... Don't be bad. He'll know and give you coal. Like, no, I'm asking about a historical thing. Like, how did this... For the non-Australian listeners to this podcast, when this episode goes out, this is some sort of small bear that drops on you and is vicious. I, I was told all about it on my first trip out right. here. And, uh, I, and that was in front of an audience where I walked down and said, it's lovely to be here in Australia. And someone shouted out, have you seen any drop bears? And so I said, I didn't know anything about drop bears. And the whole audience really nicely started telling me stories about drop bears. <laughs> and... And then there was, a, and there was a guy in the audience who said he was a zoologist. And he explained it's, it's the shape of their claws, and they can't grip the trees properly, and they just they just collapse out of the trees. And then then we found a woman in the audience who said she'd had an actual drop bear experience, where she'd been she'd been walking through a forest, and a little bear landed on her head. And she said, "Oh, fortunately, I knew the right thing to do. You mustn't panic because the bear will panic and rip your face to shit. You have to you have to keep walking at a steady pace, and the bear will climb off you in his own good time." And I walked off stage going, what a lovely audience. <laughs> how, how informative was that? Then a bloke. Boom snakes. Yeah, that's the other one. Because I'm a Brit too, but like, I come out here and, you know, like, oh, look out for the drop snake, the, the, the drop bears and the boom snakes. So what are boom snakes meant to be? I have no 
Do they explode? <laughs> Are they exploding snakes? I don't believe anything anymore. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> now I've got an Englishman spreading an Australian myth. <laughs> this is getting too much. <laughs> now I don't believe anything. So many people go, "There's a shark," and I'm like, "No." <laughs> it's, a, it's like a hard. It's a stick. So it's like a, a sound technician would use this sn- snake to pick up. A Foley artist. My point is, why are you making up weird creatures in a country with weirder creatures in it? <laughs> yeah, Australia's full of ridiculous creatures. A spoof is supposed to go the other way. <laughs> yeah, if you're falling for something that is less weird than the reality. I know. Maybe like if America like joked about, oh, there are these things called squirrels. Oh, wait till they find out they're fake. Like, they're fucking squirrels. Who cares? It's a koala they, with teeth. They call is them kangaroos th- here, <laughs> but they're giant squirrels. We know we, what they are. We did see wallabies. Did we already cover this? I don't want to keep saying this. Tell the same no, story. No, we saw a bunch every, of wallabies in cans after our show. I guess we did. Yeah. yeah. Like I, someone was like, "Come to our neighborhood. You'll see some wallabies." I'm like, "Are you sure?" There were hundreds of wallabies in this person's yeah, they're front like, yard. Yeah, they're like, we'll definitely see some. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll see one or two. This feel, it was like a horror film of wallabies. Yeah. <laughs> Night of the It was wallabies. like they're planning something. We just suddenly went, turned around and pop, drove by this field, and they were just like, a good 200 just standing in this field looking at us stilly. Like, act naturally, act naturally. <laughs> Last year, we had a wanking possum in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and that... That really just, sadly wasn't a myth. <laughs> it was. I, I just to be clear, this. this is a normal possum that happens to be wanking a lot, or is there a species called the wanking possum? <laughs> I don't actually know what it was, but it was there was this noise in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's Gary. Then, that's Gary the wanking possum. <laughs> <laughs> it's a neighbour hiding in a bush. <laughs> but the, the, the locals told me it was a possum, and they make that noise. Is that right? All right, weird. Oh. <laughs> weird. Again, weird. weird and real. We just sit there and just go, oh, it's just the wanker in the garden again. <laughs> well, so Australians, are, Australians are one of the things. Last year, the other thing I saw, and it wasn't, it wasn't a creature, but we were taking out to the, you know, the Yarra Valley near uh, Melbourne Way? And, uh, and our guide took us out of the car at one point. He said, you've got to see this amazing, these trees. These trees are amazing. And he said, these are the tallest, straightest trees in the world. Yeah, you reacted exactly the same as I did. I was like, wow, I've seen the tallest, straightest trees in the world. They're not the straightest trees. They're not the tallest trees. They're the tallest, straightest trees. <laughs> like, if someone, if someone shows me some trees and goes, these are the straightest trees in the world, I'll be like, I've seen taller. <laughs> do you know? And I, was just, I was wondering what the fuck I'm supposed to do with this fact. And then he added another fact. He went, and by the way, these trees are not the type of gum trees where koalas go. And I was like, fuck me. I've now seen trees where koalas don't go. You know, I've actually seen a lot of trees where koalas don't go. You, know? you come to England, come to my country, I'll show you every tree is a tree where koalas don't go. And as someone who's come all the way to Australia would like to see koalas, thank you for taking me to a place where koalas won't go. <laughs> why, why don't you show me a field that kangaroos hate? I really thought you were heading in the direction of like heteronormative trees. Or something. I thought that was going to be like, that's not. Yeah. The, well, the, there, is a, there is a kangaroo news story, science news story. Oh, yes. Scientists have discovered when the kangaroo learned to hop. It learned to hop. Someone taught it. Yeah, it, it was in a Rudyard <laughs> Kipling poem. Keep and it, uh, <laughs> it, It's earlier than previously thought. According to new fossils, it goes back 20 million years. 
20 million years 20, of hopping. Yeah. How like, did, what kind of fossil? But the fossil was like one hop apart. But there could be other fossils in between of, the, where the steps were. <laughs> or maybe it just had two left feet. There was a little chessboard of animals set up, and they're like, oh, yeah, they managed to get over the pawns. Uh, <laughs> what if it was just like. What if Jesus was just helping you out, but only like once every four feet? <laughs> it's like, and look back on the footsteps, that's when I hopped you. Thank you, hopping Jesus. I was raised by a kangaroo. Uh, wait. Yeah, but I didn't like living out of someone else's pocket. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on now. What kind of shit podcast is it? But that's not funny. Is there a. Says, oh, I know, you're all science geeks, right? It's a pouch, not a pocket can. <laughs> <laughs> Bend a little. According to this article, living kangaroos are the only large mammal to use hopping on two legs as their main form of locomotion, which makes me wonder, is Yosemite Sam not large or not a mammal? <laughs> <laughs> which, sorry, that's, yeah, that's a groaner too, yeah. okay. They also haven't ever seen a sack race. So, <laughs> the, uh, is that something that Americans do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hop. Yeah, helping. <laughs> uh, you just never know. Like I've lived in America for about ten years on and off now, and I'll, I'll still suddenly say something that I assume that is a universal thing, and everyone's like, "What? What is this thing you've just described?" No, that's the thing where you get kicked in the nuts and you have to run, right? Yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, 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 the sack race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's below me. You guys know the podcast. Uh, that's that's a Jesse Caseism right there. <laughs> I wish he was here. Um, you know, um, Richard Dawkins got in, uh, in some trouble a couple of, uh, was it two or three years ago, I think he did a lecture at, um, oh, it's somewhere out here, I don't know where it was, it was, it was Sydney somewhere, and, uh, and he was talking about Noah's Ark and saying why it couldn't have been possible because of the marsupials, because there's no way the marsupials would all end up in the same country or the same part of the world, uh, and I, don't, I can't remember why he got in shit for it, but people were pretty angry at the time, I thought it was a really good point. You know, like, like all, the, all, the, all the kangaroos got off the ark and said, let's go that way. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's all hop over there. Marsupials to the left. Lots of space to hop. Yeah, marsupials yeah. to the left. <laughs> it is weird. Are there marsupials in any other continent? No, I think so. Wait, aren't possums are, are marsupials, right? Did we already cover this? Are they rodents and not marsupials? Do, do, American, do American possums have pouches? I don't know that. American possums are marsupials. They are, okay. Oh, yeah. So and I like about our audience, they right? already, like, be. normally we have to wait a week for the corrections to come in, but <laughs> in front of a live audience, we're getting it in real time, and I appreciate that. They're like, no, you fucked that right up, so. Uh... so two million people live here. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, my God, was... I can't believe, I'm sorry, oh my God. Perth. Well, I got we it were in talking my head. about the original Australia plans a few weeks ago. We were like, oh, we might come here, but Perth is a really long way to go. And then Andy's like, yeah, and there's what, like 30 people who live there? I, was like, I, don't, I don't remember what you estimated as the size of the city, but you were off by at least an order of magnitude. Exactly. I think I said 200,000. That's 2 million. I'm so sorry, Perth. You are a vibrant city. Uh, I always have to find the, like, the American analogy for cities, and I think it's either... Well, Russell works in mining, and he was saying maybe it's kind of like Houston because of that industry. It also has like a Denver feel to it. Um, by the way, he told me that he works in a vanadium mine, which I, I know as a science podcast co-host, I should realize is an actual element on the periodic table. But that sounds like a thing you, you get to by doing a Kessel run. Yeah. Like the vanadium <laughs> mine is a thing that Luke was doing where he's bulls, bullseyeing Wombrats. Yeah, it sounds like a thing that Flash Gordon is defending. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have to get the vanadium. Get the it's, vanadium. Uh... What, what is it? What's it used for? It's, it's important in, uh, in, in steel alloys. It strengthens steel. 
And it's worth about $13 a kilo if my drunken memory of last night's conversation serves. So, yeah, get out and get oh, that, get a that lot vanadium. Of, oh, I might go and find some vanadium. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave this podcast and start digging. That was, that was more Canadian. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't, so I, thought, that, I wasn't trying to do an accent. accent. I was trying to just give a vibe a of an attitude. Accent. Accent. <laughs> so the extinct cousins of modern kangaroos could also hop. Remember that story? Sure. Oh, yeah. According to a study of their fossilized foot bones, as well as moving on four legs and climbing trees. They did all sorts, these ancestors. The rare kangaroo fossils were found at Riversleigh in the northwest of Queensland in Australia. The site is a treasure trove of animal remains, including marsupials, bats, lizards, snakes, crocodiles, and birds. Um, kangaroos can quickly cover large distances using their distinctive gait, which is most effective in open habitats such as deserts and grasslands. I, I guess that's true. I don't know if I, have you ever got a kangaroo stuck in a house? It doesn't say how they fare in corridors. <laughs> so the long-held view has been that the animals evolved the ability to hop to take advantage of a change in the climate which brought drier conditions and the spread of grasslands. I heard that it was because the ground then was much hotter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the danger. Minimize the time th- of contact. Yeah. I thought it was because they were constantly mad angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... Sorry. Something just occurred to me. Did, did Australia have a brand of shoes in the 80s that had pouches on the side called Ruse? God, America was so fucking Australia horny in the 80s, and you guys didn't even know. Like, after Crocodile Dundee and Young Einstein, we had a brand of shoes. It was the coolest thing to have, because you had a little, like, a zipper here. You can just store whatever a third grader has to store in the side of his shoe. I don't know, like a fucking... What's your Yeah, your stish, exactly. Yeah. Your stish. I can't... I'm sorry. I promised no accents. I've already yeah. promised... Your third grade stash, which is probably yeah. like, just like a pencil sharpener and, uh, and a pebble that you like that you want to keep away from your sister. This is my pebble, <laughs> Samantha. But we found the scientist, we found the dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my third grade teacher did hate agates. She was a total narc about that, so I had to keep the fucking agates under wraps. And the... Are agates a thing? You guys don't know what agates are? No, I don't know what that it's is. It's like the coolest rock to have as a kid, right? Oh, the only... okay. Oh, yeah, okay. And I, I now yeah. I know the word you're saying. Oh, it sounds... What's that? Okay. Oh, okay. Someone at the back of the room just said, agates is slang for nuts. But we're in Australia where everything is slang for nuts. Yeah. <laughs> everything is slang for either nuts, being drunk, or fucking. Like, as far as I can tell. Yeah, when we first arrived and we were jet-lagged and had to... Not had to, got to have a tour of... Uh, <laughs> We were forced into a really fun, cool tour. We were. It was, no, but it's just 30 hours of travel, and then I'm trying my best to like, keep up with a conversation that's full of every Australian abbreviation of this field of science I don't know about. I don't know, mosquitoes are called mozzies. Like, the, like they're fucking Smith's lead singers or something. Um, but yeah, I have to listen back to that audio and see if Americans will get what, they, what was happening there. I'm not sure. We'll see. In the, uh, Patreon listeners will find out. So I'm sure all you guys are Patreon subscribers. We got a we got a couple of fun uh, climate change stories because this is the right now uh, our American listeners are dealing with snow and Arctic conditions and a president who says, "Well, how is that climate change when that's happening?" Well, funnily enough, at exactly the same time in the place where it's summer, it's fucking hot right now. <laughs> it's incredibly hot. 
Uh, it's but, undrop bearably hot here, I would say. Is that fair to say? Okay. Uh, but good news, it's going to make the oceans bluer. Upsides. Really? Upsides. Really? Yeah. Uh, rising temperatures will change the color of the world's oceans, making them more blue in the coming decades. Say scientists. Nice. You see, the bluest oceans, I promised you guys. <laughs> Under my administration, the oceans will be even more blue. It'll be the greatest blue. You've never seen blues like these blues. That's my best Trump. That's I apologize. That's so weird that he came in just to deliver yeah, that line. I he must have heard me mention him a second ago, and he just... Wow, that was freaking. They, they said a while ago it's going to make the planet greener and more lush. They're really giving out the wrong messages to do something about <laughs> yeah. it, aren't they? I remember when it all started when we were back in, uh, back in the UK, and, uh, and then back when, before it was called climate change, they used to say global warming, which was totally the wrong message for British people. You know, because... <laughs> The, the tiniest warm day, and when everybody in the whole of England goes down to the beach, and uh, and then they said, so they, they were calling it global warming. And everyone in Britain said, oh, "That sounds great." And then they said, "And the water's going to rise, and and Hull, if you ever been to Hull, they said a hull's going to drown." And everyone in Britain went, "This sounds amazing, <laughs> really good." And now we're going to get bluer oceans as well. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get blue oceans. But, and Next, they're going to tell us it's gonna, we're going to get more sex. Yeah. Uh... I Actually, mean, yeah, it does. Yeah, I'll so, say uh, that, yeah. <laughs> well, bluer I oceans, better sand. Yeah, fewer clothes, so... Uh, <laughs> Plus just, like, Hornier. end time sex, like, that's not going to be a constant orgy, yeah. That's... <laughs> so what's going to happen is the heat, increased heat will change the mixture of phytoplankton, which are the tiny marine organisms in the seas which absorb and reflect light. Scientists say there'll be less of them, making our oceans all shitty and not blue. Uh, that's not what that article is. I'm <laughs> paraphrasing here, in case you saw me. Uh, but uh, there'll be less of them in the waters in decades to come. This will drive a color change in more than 50% of the world's seas. Oh, but he here's the bad part. Turns out they're important, phytoplankton. There's oh, always a catch. Yeah, turns out they turn sunlight into chemical energy and consume carbon dioxide, and they're the bottom rung of the marine food chain. Uh, so... I guess... Do they photosynthesize? It doesn't say that in this article, but I guess they do roughly the same as plants do. Um, so, and they also play, it says here in this article, they also play an important role in how we see the oceans with our eyes, which is a weird way of phrasing that, like, that suggests, like, if they're not there, you might just walk into the ocean <laughs> without notice, ah, fuck, the phytoplankton are gone, and I didn't see them with, see the ocean with my eyes before I was inside the ocean. It is so humid today. But... <laughs> 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 well, but, but somehow I can fly. <laughs> so the more phytoplankton in the ocean, the less blue the seas will appear, and the more likely they will to have a greenish color. Uh, previous research has shown with warming, the oceans will see a reduction in phytoplankton in many places. The new study models the likely impact these changes will have on the color of the ocean and the planet as the world warms up. So lead author Dr. Stephanie Dutkiewicz, I'm mispronouncing that, from MIT, it says, what we find is the color will change, probably not so much that you will see by eye, boo, but certainly sensors will be able to pick up that there's a change. So sensors are going to want to really go to more holiday locations. Uh, and it'll likely be one of the earliest warning signals we have that we've changed the ecology of the ocean. For the better. It's blue, guys. Who doesn't <laughs> love blue? In uh, the words of whatever that song from the 90s was, I'm blue, if I was green, I would die. Is that what that song says? No? We've got to pay ASCAP $10,000 now for this. The rights to that song. 
So I'm in favor of blue. We saw some deep, deep blues over at Rottenest today. It was a beautiful... Like I say, what an idyllic island of horrors. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Like a, it's yeah. like if Auschwitz had snorkeling around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I feel awful about that, but at the same time, happy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to say something because I can't top that. So, uh. Don't dare. The article. Well, you know, you know what? That, it's actually weirdly on topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Because it turns out there was something that helped with climate change oh. that actually called the earth, and that is racism. Because this is another, another little study, another story that came out this week. In the 15th century, uh, Colonization of the Americas caused cl- global cooling because of am, the am drop I on in Fox population. News? This is Fox News, isn't it? This is not <laughs> this is the podcast I was told. Basically, colonization of the Americas at the end of the 15th century killed so many people it disturbs Earth climate, according to a group of scientists from UCL in London. Uh, the team said disruption that followed European settlement led to a huge swathe of abandoned agricultural land being reclaimed by fast-growing trees and other vegetation. This pulled down enough carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to eventually chill the planet. It's a cooling period often referred to in the history books as the Little Ice Age, a time when winters in Europe would see the Thames in London regularly freeze over. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was racism. It was... Um, that it, it's described according to Alexander Koch and colleagues writing the paper. And this is what they say... That, the great dying of the indigenous peoples of the Americas. I would have said killing. I would have said the great killing. And maybe not use the word great either, because that has two meanings. The bad killing. Climate aside. Uh, Yeah, climate. Genocide for the planet. I mean, it would work, That's what it's saying. Right. I didn't say it. No, yeah. It's It's a translation. But it's also like whenever someone, I've said this many times on the podcast, whenever someone's like, I love the planet. Like, do do you love the planet? Do you love, like, fucking Neptune? Like, in the abstract, do you care what happens? No, like, we love humans. That's why we care about the planet, so humans can keep being on it. Like, no one's like, I can't wait for all the humans to be dead so the Earth can go back to being what... What a fucking yeah, the rock. planet will be fine. Earth yes, is going to exist yeah, for a yeah. fair bit beyond humans. It's going to be lusher, it's going to be bluer, and it's going to be less people on it. It's going to have a great time. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying you get to the same result as environmentalism if you frame it as like, no, we care about not having humans having, have, have to go through misery in the future, so we want to keep the planet a place that everybody can survive. Like, mm-hmm. But saying you care about a planet is as dumb as saying you care about a star a billion light years away. Like, who could actually care about that? Sorry if this is too philosophical, but like, <laughs> I don't care about the planet. I care about you guys not dying and your children not dying and stuff. But I, I, I pay a dollar to adopt a planet. Pay a dollar to do what? <laughs> to adopt a planet? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I actually do care about the planet and all the stars. And uh, Sorry, Matt's a better person than I <laughs> I care about the planet. I'd be useless without it. I would. Wait, you, you care? Say that again? Sorry. You, you care about the planet. We would be useless without it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I care about it as a means to keep humans alive, and it benefits all of us to keep biodiversity going so we can have things that can help us not die of diseases. Like, it's, it's just all the things that are environmentalism with people who this say they care cold. about This Mother is really Earth. cold. No, it's not. It's the opposite of cold. It's, it's saying you get this to This is our home you're talking about. <laughs> 
we yeah. love our we love our planet, don't we? We do because we love being alive. Yes, I get yeah, that. Give us a but, cheer if you love the planet and hate Andy right no. now. Boo, boo! Oh, How about nice. butterflies? <laughs> huh? No, fuck it. Fuck it. Roses. Yeah, because roses fucking probably help people stay in relationships longer than they otherwise would. These are all things that benefit humans. It's like you can still care about as the top thing. You're a robot. A robot who loves roses? What the fuck am I? No, girl, I've had a girlfriend tell me that. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, okay. so, so the study... What point are they making here? Well, it, it, I assume it's agricultural um, people who... It's got to be agricultural people who... Are, Genocided, right? Well, not just anyone. I, don't I hadn't know realized who, who do we need to genocide. I hadn't realized how mu how much the numbers had gone down. So they reviewed all the population data they could find on how many people were living in the Americas prior to first contact with the Europeans in 1492. Oh God, it then millions. assessed how the numbers changed in the following decades as the continents were ravaged by introduced diseases like smallpox and measles, warfare, slavery, and societal collapse. And they estimate that 60 million people, 60 million right. people, were living across the Americas at the end of the 15th century, which is about 10% of the world's population. And this was reduced to just 5 or 6 million within a century. Wow. I didn't realize it was that quick and that massive. I thought there was nowhere near that population yeah. in North America. And then they calculated how much land previously cultivated by indigenous civilizations would have fallen into disuse and what the impact would have been if this ground was then repossessed by forest and savanna. The area is in the order of 56 million hectares, which is roughly the size of France. So, like, so like a France worth of vegetation grew back. Uh, the scale of regrowth is figured to draw down sufficient CO2 that the concentration of the gas in the atmosphere eventually fell by 7 to 10 parts per million. Uh, I don't know if that's a good number, though. I don't have a good intuitive sense of the parts per million. Well, picture like a million molecules. Okay, I got it. Oh, uh, yeah, got it. Got it. I got it. I've got, I've got one and a half million. I'm finding it hard to go beyond it. <laughs> and then 7 to 10 of those are, are CO2, so, you know, you're good. <laughs> so, it does say, to give you an actual useful visualization, to put this in a modern context, we burn fossil fuels and produce about three parts per million per year. So we're taking a large amount of carbon that's being sucked out of the atmosphere. And there's a marked cooling around that time, which is called the Little Ice Age. What's interesting is we can see natural processes giving a little bit of cooling, to actually get the full cooling, you have to get this genocide-generated drop in CO2. That's a direct quote from this article as well, by the way. That wasn't me editorializing. Genocide-generated. That's a horrible expression. Why'd we pick the stories again? I forgot how this came to be. I don't know. I thought it was like it's fun in Australia. It's for the world. It's for the children. I mean, is there an analogous thing we could do that doesn't involve actually murdering millions that they're saying we could do? Uh... I think there's got to be a better way. There's got, there's got to be a better way. There must be a couple other ideas there's we can gotta figure be. out. There's got to be. I think vanadium is the solution, guys. If we can get on this. I mean, like, I know you guys are working hard on your vanadium operation here, but like, just like maybe 10% harder. Just if you could all... 10 parts per million. 10, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell you what we are going to do to protect this planet Earth that Andy hates so much. God, listen. We're just on a break, Earth and I. It's not like it's a real... We're figuring things out. We're in different places right now. Um, uh, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is a great story that feeds back into the last episode we put out. 
Um, are you guys, you guys are obviously all fans of the uh, scientific wisdom of Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, is that right? <laughs> is that not where we're going? Oh, with? that's not the story I was going to do at all. I was going to go with asteroids, but let's oh, talk no, no, about no, 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 right. no, no, let's, uh, Asteroids are great we'll too. We'll swap around for a bit. We'll jump around. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was, I, I, ju I jumped ahead a little bit, so that was my, that was my doing, Andy. No, yeah. asteroids are fun. Let's, let's get back to. But Goofy the scientist later. Gwyneth Paltrow has a new Netflix <laughs> show, apparently. <laughs> Dr. Paltrow, old Goopy. Yeah, she just, got, she just got her own Netflix show, which is great news for the world. <laughs> Spreading that wellness. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. We'll get it next year. <laughs> Do you, so, know you get Netflix shows at the same time as the rest of the world, don't you? You don't have to wait so. for like someone to, someone to get the boat over from the mainland with a, <laughs> with a Netflix disc. <laughs> uh, I, did, I, did, I did do a show. I, in fact, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to say which country this is because I think people got in trouble and I think got hushed and I don't want to get my friend into trouble. But I did a show in a relatively small country, a uh, comedy show in uh, back in Europe, and and it turns out they sort of knew all the comedy and all the comedians because they all watch Comedy Central. They're like, uh, well, it was the Paramount Comedy Channel as it then was, which is a UK UK Comedy Central, and and they're like, yeah, yeah, we watch we watch this, uh, we, we we all watch it over here. And then the guy who was the promoter spoke to his friend at that channel and went, hey, you know that everyone in this country watches the channel, so maybe you might want to do some kind of promotion or maybe sponsor the gig or something. And so she went, ran it up and like talked to her bosses and they talked around. And, and it turns out that channel is not broadcast in that country. <laughs> the official cable providers in that country steal Comedy Central <laughs> from England. And broadcast it a day later. <laughs> they basically just tape it, and then. <laughs> I've never known an entire country that steals cable. <laughs> but. Set by time. Sorry, guys. Uh, by, the, by the way, we also got warned. Uh, obviously, drop airs were the top priority when you guys wrote back to the survey, but also people told us the internet here was shit. And I was like, a whole country can't have shit internet, right? How the fuck do you guys live? <laughs> I mean, the most I've ever. I've run a speed test every time I've gotten a Wi Fi because I'm like, this can't be real. And it's like 1.5 megabits per second. I get 100 at home for 40 bucks a month. I'm not bragging. I'm just like, what is going on? How do we fix this? Is there an actual reason? It is too complicated. I mean, honestly, I can't. Yeah. I just don't understand how industry can thrive in a country with like dial-up from '97. You guys all have AOL addresses. I'm not knocking your country. I'm just. It is still exciting though to see you know first the face, then the neck. <laughs> It's exciting. I miss it. It's retro. I think your sister picks up the phone. Yeah. It's uh. You guys just got call waiting here, didn't you? For the last <laughs> five years. I love you, Australia. I love the world. I'm not a bad person. <laughs> Too many Holocaust jokes tonight. Yeah. So Gwyneth Paltrow has her own Netflix show. Uh, she's obviously known for making unfounded health claims on products that she sells, and uh, she's gonna be touting that on this streaming platform. It's set to air later this year. She and her goop chief content officer, I mean, is that on a business card someone has to have, um, will co-host the show and talk to experts, doctors, and researchers, and I'm making air quotes for listeners at home. Um, yeah, the, the various 
health things she's promoted. And by the way, the last episode we had on uh, that just dropped uh, was with, doc amongst others, Dr. Jen Gunter, who's the one who is a real doctor who then went to the Goop conference and reported back from it and is now Gwyneth Paltrow's official enemy. Oh, really? Yeah, you're, you're, we were talking to her after the show as well, and apparently it's like in writers with, when Gwyneth Paltrow does an interview that you're not allowed to bring her up. What? You're not yeah. allowed to mention Jen at all. Like, like I saw one she an interview Paltrow did with it was a UK daytime TV show, and they went and they had to go like, so there's a a Canadian gynecologist who has written some criticisms of you. Like they can't even like mention the name. It's really odd. I, I only vaguely know who Gwyneth Paltrow is, or I, so, I, I do know. So she used to be an actor, and now she's a wellness person. Right. And wellness yeah. is a modern word that means wrong medicine so <laughs> it means you put eggs made of jade inside of you to improve your vaginal muscle tone uh, is that, that's one of the real claims is it? oh yeah oh okay. yeah she advocates putting jade eggs up 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 in your up in them guts uh, is the technology <laughs> tone. i hey. feel awful about hey. it hey. If, if hey we're trying to discuss science here please yeah. let's have that's A what it modicum. says on the packet of respect for this. So yeah, she's been she's been criticized. Put it for up that. in them guts, and then it, <laughs> and then afterwards in brackets says P.S. the front guts. Uh, <laughs> that is the medical term. Uh, we are professional doctors here. <laughs> so obviously she's been criticized for that and for uh, advocating things about hormonal balance and and chi. Uh, John Wardle, the associate professor of public health at University of Technology, Sydney said he was concerned that Goop and Netflix's editorial teams would now use the new show to promote unfounded health claims to TV audiences, which seems pretty obvious. That they will if they, that's what they've done. That's what the <laughs> show that's is. What do, that's what yeah. it's based on, yeah. Right. You only have to look at what goes through the courts to see what harm can be done or talk to any health practitioner. So there's a lot of accountability of health practitioners making claims, but unfortunately not so much for the media. Um, other health practices Paltrow and Goop have promoted include vaginal steaming. We all know. Which does what? It, you steam your Because I think I've caused a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I assume we're all talking about the same thing, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> to hell with the planet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, do you smoke after sex? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. What, what does it do? What is it? I think it's supposed to clean your vagina, but you shouldn't steam your vagina. It's a self-cleaning organ, like... I mean, I, whatever. I don't want to give. A, I don't want a mansplain vagina. Oh here. fuck it! Steam your vagina if you sure. want. Sure. I got no problem with it. it I mean, also, I, got also, no, I got no problem with steaming vaginas. Go ahead and steam them. Yeah. I have. I have, what else you got? I have steamed my curtains, and it works. So I don't <laughs> yeah. know if it's yeah, a exactly. sort of thing. It's also a good no, way to. Listen, uh, I didn't say that. Uh, okay, so she promotes. It's also beast. a good way to open vaginas without them knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Find out the secrets inside and then seal them back up afterwards. That's a big KGB move back in the day. Yeah. Uh, she promotes bee sting, facials, biofreak. <laughs> people do this. Oh, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow does this. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Because if you wanted people to experiment on it, you wanted lab rats, people expect to be paid a fortune for it, but you can make some incredible claim like that. And people will agree to do it for free. Yeah, it does sound it's like, like just someone just had an excess of bees. For money? <laughs> like, how do I make more money out of these bees? I mean, I think the first time we talked about this, we talked about the stories of ERs getting women with 
downstairs burns from following this steaming advice. And yes, I'm going to keep saying things like downstairs and guts. Um, You've made Holocaust jokes. I know, yeah. this, this is downstairs. I don't want to be impolite. I don't know you already said you want planet dead. <laughs> okay, so Beasting Facials, biofrequency stickers. Oh, are these the ones that she claims went to space? There's some stickers. Yeah, somebody in the audience about. is confirming that. She says they went on a, on a space shuttle and now these well, stickers sti did. Like literal stickers, like children have on their notebooks. Like, stickers went into space. And they came back, or maybe they're made of spacesuits? Is that what it is? Yeah, made of spacesuits. Made of space oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's made some stickers. It's a bit of a sticker that's. <laughs> a bit of a spacesuit that's shoved in a sticker, and then you stick it on you. And it rebalances and it, the, the energy frequency of your bodies, according to Goopy. It gives you a. It gives you all the power of space. <laughs> but also, the power of space is important, but also is the, is the power of a thing called earthing, which, as Goop explains on its website, involves grounding yourself to access the, quote, abundant supply of free electrons in the ground to treat inflammation, <laughs> insomnia, and depression. So that means... You know, as opposed to those costly electrons that right, we... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, so you're you supposed to sit on your ass on the dirt to get free electrons so you can sleep? I, uh, I don't know. I, I, you, can, you, can, you can achieve the same. You can get free electrons as well by rubbing balloons on you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's torture. It's a different thing entirely. <laughs> uh, so the nonprofit organization Truth in Advertising has frequently taken the legal fight to Goop over some of its claims and secured what it said were only limited changes to its marketing. I think this is kind of a hopeless thing. This is going to be the next Marie Kondo. We're all going to be getting sparked joy by our vaginal steaming. and uh... <laughs> But yeah, it's a bummer that people keep giving things to people who are actively harming Did you say the what the public. bee stings do? The bee stings on the it's, face? I, I, that, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming your face looks better. I don't know. It's like Botox is a, is a, is a toxin, is a botulism toxin. It's yeah, but that, that was... a bloated can of mushrooms. And... All right. But there was, there was scientific tests for that. And... and... Well, well, the, but, the effect, but the effect of that is just to paralyze muscles so yeah, course, you can't yeah. do this and get wrinkles. So maybe and I always, always find it fascinating that the rich basically tested it for all the poor. You know, <laughs> wasn't it? That was the odd thing about Botox is that rich people were, were fucked up for years until they got good at it. So basically they, they, they put themselves... Yeah, Botox, they paid, they paid facelifts, uh, hair transplants... Yeah, totally, all of it. Yeah. That's a great point, yeah. It's... It was. No one, no one gave a shit, but I thought it was a pretty good point. <laughs> no, that's what I know. The rich are finally the guinea pigs. But we're back into the question we started with about whether it's wrong to lie to people if it makes them feel good, and, and, and sometimes it does help. Wait, so you're saying it's okay to tell someone to put bees on their face and get stung? Absolutely. <laughs> if they're going to put bees on their face, yes. I'm upset for the bees they kill, but otherwise, yeah, fine. Oh, yeah, I guess they do, a lot of bees do die. Well, it depends if it's honeybees, right? isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, yeah, I wonder if they use bees that are able to sting more than once, or like if there are some budget versions that use wasps. <laughs> now that you, I just like to know what the claim is though. Where they go, try this, put a bee on your face. They go, ow, it's stung. And they went, yep, that's what it does. <laughs> that shows it's working. <laughs> I do remember that scene in Wicker Man when Nicolas Cage went to a spa. Remember? No yep. one watched Wicker Man. Okay. Yeah, the bees. Yeah. Yep, the only version of the Wicker Man. <laughs> Oh, sorry, you guys are purists for the cult Wicker Man from the 70s? Like, that's not our fan base either, right? Or is it? I don't know. You guys haven't even seen Young Einstein. You guys don't know film. You guys are, you guys are film buffs. They have. So, yeah. Uh, but everyone in this room has seen Young Einstein, I'm guessing, with maybe th three younger exceptions. All right. 
nods, head shaking. All right, how many people have? How many people haven't? All right, it's about three to one ratio. That's your homework. I downloaded Reckless Kelly, too. I haven't watched that one yet. No one's seen that okay, one. Okay, no one saw that one. Was, uh... Two people. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we all know what the take on this is. Like the, the damage is that people are going to watch this show that's really an entertainment show, take on health messages, and Netflix and Goop both give them this sort of legitimacy and authority, which they shouldn't do. So, I don't know. Hopefully we can also, like, make people believe Gwyneth Paltrow steals comedy content, and then we can get everyone to want to unfollow <laughs> the fuck Jerry that is... Gwyneth Paltrow. It's also odd, though, that people rather than believe doctors will be, believe Hollywood stars. I mean, in the first place, uh, have you as seen, any kind of authority whatsoever. Have you seen a doctor that's held up as well as Gwyneth, though? I mean, I, <laughs> you can't argue with results, right? That's because that's they're too busy doing surgery and prescribing medicine. No. They don't have time to get down to the beasting clinic. <laughs> when so I see a doctor get an Oscar, then that's when I believe them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dr. Ken. <laughs> God, that would be magnificent if he won an Oscar. Dr. Ken did? Yeah. yeah. I'd also love these... for there to be. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the thing about these things, they, they do spread really fast. You know, like the, yeah. the homeopathy thing there, there were, there were three uh, homeopathic hospitals in the UK, and it was paid for by the NHS for a while, which eventually, after a lot of campaigning, they've closed down. But uh, and what was on the, on the issue we started with. I don't think it's a problem for people to believe in things, but I do, do think it's a problem for authorities to back it. You know, because at that point, people do start believing in the idea that... Yeah, when the, which was always incredible, the idea that water has memory in the first place, which, by the way, it doesn't, which is why water doesn't refuse to go into a kettle because of what you did to it last time, you know? Water... It's why we build, build dams rather than spanking a canal and saying, don't do that again, you know? So, Water finds every way down a mountain. It doesn't choose the scenic route that it remembers last time was particularly fun. <laughs> I actually set up a way to get my water into a tea kettle by like having it go through a series of like back and forth. It's, it's a Temple Grandin method, so the water doesn't see it coming by the time it's in the kettle. The water doesn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very pleasant. It's like those chickens that live a pleasant life until that one surprise. But... Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah. even Andy's if, cruel streak continues. <laughs> I hate water. I hate the planet. Love that Holocaust. Love me some Holocaust. Uh, so, Associate Professor Wardle says that even when Goop is providing good health advice, such as the nutritional value of foods, yes, food has nutritional value. <laughs> Bold stance. It was always directed at selling a product in a commercially crass kind of way. So if you go and see an expert and say this particular vitamin is good for brain development or cardiovascular function, that might actually be true. The research might be accurate, but the editorial team might take that and intertwine views and opinions to market something that's way too expensive, which of course they will. Well, so, what other, you, you, we got distracted. What other pseudosciencey things did you, so you did the seance. What other stuff did you do back in your less scrupulous magic days? <laughs> um, oh, loads of stuff though, but I used to, there was this, First of all, you see all the metal bending, which was just fascinating to watch how... If you've ever seen... You, you all know the Uri Geller kind of style stuff. I, I actually... When you were talking about like being, believing stuff when you were younger, at the same age that you were practicing doing a stare or whatever, when I, I think when I was a, in my... I can't remember how old I was, maybe 10 or 11, I tried to get my baby sister to bend a spoon. 
because I'd read Yuri Geller write something. Yuri Geller had written something about how really little kids don't have the lack of belief. They they haven't been corrupted by the cynicism of the world, and therefore they are able to bend spoons unimpeded. So I just like spent about an afternoon trying to make my sister bend a spoon, but I guess she I guess she'd already been corrupted by the modern world because it didn't work. You gotta be you gotta be careful what you say on Yuri Geller because he's very litigious even now. Um, I think I'm fairly happy to say Yuri Geller is a massive fraud. He's a massive, <laughs> he's a massive lying twat of a human he's being. A, that, yeah. He's a liar and a fraud. And if he honestly wants to sue this podcast for our tens of dollars of assets, <laughs> the listeners will put some money together to fight yeah. him. <laughs> but but I, I don't did, even go on. Sorry. In Yuri's defense, I did recently learn a couple magic tricks to entertain my nephews. And the best one is the fake spoon bending. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Like the it's one you just watch, yeah. you just put your hands on top of each other and then just it goes. It doesn't bend at all, but just looks like it. All oh, right, okay. And my six-year-old nephew just lost his fucking mind. I was like, yeah, here we go. It's not bad for everything. That's a yeah. yeah. Look, the basic method of bending a spoon or a fork is you just bend it. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's, it's, all, it's, all, it's, it's timing, it's misdirection, but you just bend it, it's, and, and you don't use. And the other secret is. Don't use the really strong forks. <laughs> go, go for the weak ones. And, and, uh, and they bend quite easily. And it's also... See, a lot of these, these different powers, they all rely on, on the belief in a, a kind of energy that, that science has never heard of. And it's, it's a kind of energy that I call shit energy. Because <laughs> what it can do is really shit things. Like it can, it can bend a fork slightly out of shape. You can't use it to get a piece of metal and turn it into a fork. Right? It doesn't do anything useful. It just damages things. <laughs> and, and, it, and even then slightly, and nowhere near as well as any tools would do it. <laughs> but, so you, you would do the spoon bending or the fork bending, whatever. Yeah, spoons, forks, knives, whatever. Because yeah. I, I know one of the other stages in the spoon bending magic trick is having, having bent it a bit in your hand and then shown that it's bent... Yeah. If you hold it by one end, if you, hold, if you hold it by the sort of handle end at the very tip and just slightly twist it, it looks like it's continuing. It looks a bit like it's continuing to bend, particularly if you then use suggestion and go yes, like, totally, see yeah. how it's continuing to bend. The people will notice, people will convince themselves they've seen it continue to bend when you're not touching it. Uh, you, you've given away a big magic secret now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fair enough to do. And yeah, bend, turn it around slightly so it catches the light and, and turn it slightly away from you. It looks like it's bending still. God, it works. It works. Do we do we have to do we have to edit that bit out so we don't yeah, get sued I, by I magicians? <laughs> does anyone have a fork on them? This place does have a this place does have a kitchen. Can we ruin one piece of cutlery for the sake of science? <laughs> we can. Oh! We're gonna bend some fucking spoons. Sorry. I apologize to our audio listeners. What was that? You only have forks. I think the trick works with forks. Are you, are you okay, okay if we ruin a fork? Now, the, the, ideal ones, the ideal ones we want are the ones that say stainless steel on them, but they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a Too really... Strong. Is this a strong fork? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I'm going to make a proper bend in it because we're going to need some force to do that. Okay, uh, does anyone want to film this? Because this is an audio podcast, but we should probably put this out as well as... a. Uh, Tiny, tiny bend there. And you can see us. There we go. There we go. 
You can see as you hold it into the light, you get a... <laughs> but that's not quite the right angle. And what actually happened was, the reason why I couldn't do it properly is because the prong, as I started doing it, stuck <gasps> oh, into no! the side of my oh! hand. <laughs> I, I wasn't able to buy the correct force. Carrie, <laughs> you're but really bleeding. What it should do is bend, bend to a point where... Oh, look, there it goes. It's, it's gone really good now. So it's, it's good, but you can see how dangerous this is. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Uh, that is real. <laughs> is that real blood? Yeah, yeah, no, I did just cut my hand. Oh! <laughs> If you didn't cut your hand, I was gonna fucking drop my mic and leave the stage and <laughs> consider you the greatest magician I'd ever seen. Thank you very much. God, this is on me now. Oh my god. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Harry! <laughs> Do you know what it's like to go from thinking you just saw the best magic ever to knowing your friend got hurt? <laughs> and thank you to our amazing bartender as well. <laughs> Your, your point stands that the light catches it and it looks like it's still bending as you turn it. But... <laughs> I forgot that was the point. Hang on, we still need to get you a oh napkin as well just to sort of tidy this up. Are you okay? Oh, it's all right. I, I damage myself all the time. On <laughs> Did you get that on video? Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm sorry. How are you feeling? Is what I mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> you already know how much you care about humanity. <laughs> Oh and, my God, and I'm a Jew, you. so I bet you're really happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I man, I was like, do you travel with squibs wherever you go? I was trying to figure out how you could. I was. I just started off saying you wouldn't do it with a spoon like that, and then he did. What happened was, as I started doing it, it stuck straight into my hand. And I thought, I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> but, it's, it's already, it's already gone, and I'm a professional. It's the commitment of the Perth Fringe Festival. That's. Wow. I please go and see Kerry's show next Wednesday. The man bled for you on stage. <laughs> Bring spoons. Spoons. Blunted no forks. No forks. I can't believe we just saw. That's my favorite moment on our podcast ever, I think. Oh my God. I mean, I'm sorry. What I mean is, how do you feel? And I'm sorry. Does it hurt? I'm, I'm going to slice my throat for a finale. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yuri Geller doesn't do that, does he? Right? He doesn't do that, does he? No, he just goes bendy, bendy, bendy. No harm. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact your audience come prepared to look at this. Our audience is uh, the best, by the way. Thank, thank you. you guys again for coming out and, and putting up with the last-minute nature of these shows. It's such an oh, yeah. amazing thing this all worked out. Uh, should we do it? Ow! All right, I'm I'm gonna skip I'm gonna skip this this story. I'm gonna jump straight to the asteroid. I think asteroid story I like a lot. Yeah. Anyone got an asteroid I can demonstrate with? (laughs) (laughs) 
so, if an asteroid were to head towards Earth in the foreseeable future, we would be defenseless. We would be defenseless as an upturned palm. <laughs> but, <laughs> to, to change that, NASA has approved a mission to throw a small asteroid off course in October 2022. The aim of the project is, is, is to establish whether we can protect our planet from a future asteroid impact. The project is called the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Dart. Dart, yeah. I don't know if the word double was just thrown in there to... Otherwise it's art, art, and that's not a very good science project. Ah. It's kind of the opposite. So, it, all the names in this are weird. Because the asteroid in question is known as Diddy Moon. D-I-D-Y Moon. This is getting very suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> Ken Dodd's behind this. Uh, Diddy, is that an anime character or a Teletubby? It's a, it's a moon asteroid which is about 150 meters tall. Okay. It's part of a double asteroid system named after the Greek word for, t for twins, Didymos. Okay. Or Didymos. Andy hates it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the abstract, yeah, who doesn't? Hate it? It's a fucking asteroid. Who's got pictures of asteroids on their wall? Oh, sorry, I'm too edgy with my asteroid humor. <laughs> also, I'm guessing at least a couple of our listeners have pictures of asteroids it's on their actually, wall. It's very true. <laughs> um, so it's, it's part, it orbits another 800-meter asteroid about a kilometer away. When DART is launched, it'll be powered by a solar electric propulsion system and will eventually collide with... Is it Diddy Moon or Didy Moon? I don't know. I like Diddy Moon better. I'm going to say Diddy, like Moon, Diddy Moon until I mean, others correct us. You know, every two weeks, I was like, what is it now? Puffy? Is it, <laughs> is it P. Diddy? Now it's Diddy Moon. And... Um, so the spacecraft will also be accompanied by a European Space Agency spacecraft called HERA, which will be largely responsible for collating data about the asteroid. However, apparently it won't be on site during the impact, but will be present afterwards. I don't know why they're not having it on site during impact. But according to the ESA, when HERA launches, it'll be accompanied by two small CubeSats, which are nanosatellites, no larger than a serial package. They'll Except they're cubes. The serial packages aren't cubes. Well, We've yeah. covered this. But it's, it's okay. still, yeah, but it's the size. Okay, fine. It's going to say the shape. Cube, CubeSat. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows a CubeSat is a 10 centimeter, 10 centimeter on each side cube that you can launch on the cheap. If you guys wanted to get something in space for like 30 grand, you could launch a CubeSat. So, anyway. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I am convinced. Can't Gwyneth Paltrow do something? I mean, we could launch her into space. I don't know what that would achieve. <laughs> so, the CubeSats will record... I see no loss here. <laughs> It'll record additional data, such as the gravitational field and the internal structure of the asteroid. The two satellites will be released around the asteroids and will land on the two space rocks. DART will be NASA's first mission to demonstrate what's known as the kinetic impactor technique. It's a very fancy way of saying hitting it. <laughs> That's literally all it is. It says striking the asteroid to shift its orbit to defend against a future, a future uh, potential asteroid impact. 
says Lindley Johnson, who's the planetary defense officer at NASA HQ. Wait, do we have a Space Force already? Has that, does that mean this has happened? That sounds very Space Force-y. As a title. Well, this, this sounds like defending the planet specifically against other planets. Which is what a Space Force should do. So the idea, the idea is that the DART spacecraft, which weighs in at around 500 kilograms, will hit the asteroid at 6 kilometers per second, changing its orbital velocity around Didymos by approximately 0.4 millimeters per second. Which might sound like a negligible figure, but the reorientation will be substantial enough to be measured from Earth with telescopes. DART is a critical step in demonstrating that we can protect our planets from future asteroid impact. This is Andy Cheng, who works at Johns Hopkins and co-leads the DART investigation. Uh, since we don't know much about the internal structure or composition, we need to perform this experiment on a real asteroid. With DART, we can show how to protect Earth from an asteroid strike with a kinetic impactor by knocking the hazardous object into a different flight path that would not threaten the planet. It's, uh, it's due to take place between December 2020 and May 2021. Here's the thing, though. They said, we don't know what's inside an asteroid, so we've got to test it on a real one. But that only t would then test if it works on this asteroid. That's a good point. Like, you Why? don't know if the next one's heavier. <laughs> and also, like this, is the, this is the most low-tech of all that. We've talked with past guests about, I think Farrah Alibay talked about one project that involved, like, painting a side of an asteroid so it would reflect light differently and then, like, solar wind would push it. Because all you have to do is, like, if we figure out an asteroid is heading for us in a couple years, nudging it the tiniest bit would be enough to make it miss Earth. So you've got to just figure out some way of doing that, whether it's painting a side so that the uh, sunlight moves it, or there was also this thing they were going to do where they are going to land on it and then have some kind of, like, retractable object that m makes it, like, that pushes away from it but is still attached so the whole system can kind of... But this is just like, we're going to punch an asteroid. <laughs> this is straight up, we're punching asteroids. Yeah, we're, I, punch, I, I, we're not punching an asteroid, are we? We're, we're, we're crashing it into it's it. It's what? Yeah. It's pinball. Yeah. Face pinball, yeah. But, but this is, they're also it's going like, this is, a proof of, this is a proof to show that it works, but you know it works. <laughs> it's like, do we, do we know it works? Well you, well, you know that if you successfully manage to hit it, it's going to move, because it's the yeah, most but, basic physics. Like, that's basic... <laughs> Newtonian, like, physics. If you, that like thing the, uh, got this momentum, this thing has this momentum. If you hit it, that's, it's going to go that way right. a bit. With space time, could we literally punch it into next week? That's <laughs> how <laughs> <laughs> so space time works, I think. This podcast has been brought to you by Gwyneth Paltrow in space. <laughs> yeah, space punching. Uh, what, what other realistic methods are there, though? That's, what if we all blow at the same time? <laughs> well, that... Uh, because uh, I think our uh, breath would dissipate in space, I'm not sure it would it would spread too finely. But what we could do Science is, is gather sometimes. on <laughs> if we all gathered on one side of the Earth and blew in that direction, we could shift Earth away from the asteroid. Oh, yeah. oh. If we can get only the Chinese to jump off a chair at the same time, <laughs> that billion people would already knock us. Yeah, that should save us too. You never heard that like urban legend that if everyone in China jumped at the same time, it would like knock. Uh, it's not true, but uh, it, it is true, Andy. I'm sorry. Wait a second. An Australian told me it's true. Yes. <laughs> That's true. An that... Australian told me that it happened to their aunt. Yeah. They said all the kangaroos is why the Earth is in this position. Yeah. In the <laughs> I did read about the drop Chinese in some of the comments. That's right. They all got on chairs together. 
big teeth and it's scary and uh Carrie, how's your ass? Still bleeding. <laughs> I, I stuck a fork in it, you know. <laughs> no, for no good reason. How were you not to yet? demonstrate a magic trick in an audio medium? With a, with a fork that you wouldn't use for it anyway. <laughs> Should there be some kind of like requirement we now have to sanitize the front row? Like this is like the worst Gallagher show where you guys might have gotten bloodborne allergens on you. What are you saying? I've got. I don't know. What does Gallagher have with those watermelons? But still, they pull up the Bisqueen. You know, it's. Do you guys know Gallagher? I don't know what you guys know. This I don't know. Series. I don't know what you're on about. You don't know Gallagher? I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> I mean, for the last hour. Okay. Yeah. I don't either. It's been a long jet laggy um, kind of trip. Uh, we we should wrap this up so. Carrie can uh, wash his hands. I feel like we, we do have one Spilling. story that's very on brand that we should finish with. It's quick. What? It involves it involves New Zealand, which is close enough to here. <laughs> I mean, closer than the states, right? It involves a it involves a USB stick. This one's dear and dear to my heart because I was traveling in in Costa Rica, which is also uh, on an ocean uh, last year. <laughs> segways, segways. So, and I had a GoPro. If you squint, you could barely tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I had a GoPro that broke off and is just out in the Pacific somewhere. And um, scientists in New Zealand say they've found a USB stick containing holiday photos inside a frozen slab of seal poo. So fingers crossed my 2017. You think it's your GoPro. Who knows, man? <laughs> I'm really hoping to get some good surf footage off that. Um, uh, and what other footage? Listen, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Like I said, I don't love the planet. I love humanity. Uh, too, too much. Too yeah. much. Sometimes. But let me tell you, those GoPros are sturdy and waterproof. So uh... motion stabilized. Uh, this the scat, which is uh, valuable for studying the health of leopard seals, has been stored in a freezer for a year before it was thawed out for analysis. Concealed deep inside the scat was a USB stick. The National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research said on its website, the stick was in good condition considering where it had come from, as they said, and the researchers let it dry out for a few weeks. It contained photos of sea lions at Porpoise Bay on New Zealand's South Island. Okay, well, that's not what I'm... And a video of a mother sea lion and her baby frolicking in shallow waters. Oh, wait, that is my video. That's right. Um, uh, No, the, the only clue to who might have taken them is the nose of a blue kayak. Uh, the, the sample of scat containing the memory stick was collected in November 2017 at Invercargill's Already Beach. But the return of the USB comes with a price, according to that organization. Uh, they provided tips on how to identify leopard seal scat, think puddles in varying colors, as you were, I'm sure, and how to collect it, gloves in an ice cream container, obviously. obviously. So it, does, it, does, it doesn't give any alternative containers. <laughs> in this article. Apparently, it seems to have to be ice cream. They also recommend maintaining a no safe... Sorbet. <laughs> no sorbet! <laughs> None of this gelato fucking bullshit. Um, they also recommended maintaining a safe distance of at least 20 meters away from the animals. Volunteer Jody Warren, who collected the memory-laden sample, expressed concern for the animal that ingested the USB. It's very worrying that these amazing Antarctic animals have plastic like this inside them, she said. The more we can find out about these creatures, the more we can ensure they are looked after. It's difficult, isn't it? It's, a, it's also a good way of preserving holiday snaps. Yeah. <laughs> some people back up in the clouds, some into the leopard seal. It's, yeah. it's just another way of doing it. It's just, 
just feed it to a seal and wait for the scientist to return it yeah. from their freezer in two to three years. Uh, Kerry. Yes. Where, where can our listeners find out more about you and where you're going to be? Cause okay, so I'll be performing at the Best of British, uh, which is in this room here. And it's, it's a great bill as well, so it's, uh, it's really good fun to be on. And also I'll be doing my show next week, uh, which is called Grumpy Pom, uh, named after my demeanour. And, uh, <laughs> and it's a show, it's, it's sort of a, a bit of a knockabout with um, uh, some stories I've been telling, plus some, some new stories and uh, playing with a few new ideas. And it's a show that's kind of discussion-based. It's, it's about humility and humiliation uh, and it's got a little bit of S&M thrown in as well. <laughs> so the core of it at the moment, the way it, it changed from originally, it was about being, a, it was going to be about grumpiness. But what it's become about, uh, it's changing all the time. What it's become about uh, is more about cringe, which I think is actually even scientifically quite an interesting thing. Is why we cringe, and uh, sometimes it's because our friends stab themselves with forks on stage. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever cringe? Oh. I constantly cringe. Yeah, I mean, mostly at myself, but at, um, I guess I cringe at bad science. Yeah, I cringe at, like, things that are intellectually disprovable I and people are believing. Yeah. I cringe at the memory of things I've said 15 to 30 yeah. years ago. That's the one that interests me, and I've been asking audiences whether they cringe at things they said years ago, and some people just do not at all. And others, other people will cringe uh, about something really they said as a I child, and eat, whilst lying in bed at night, they're just like, get that. Oh yeah, really constantly, and, and things that I said decades ago to people that I have never seen since and will probably never see again in my life. Well, let's survey. How, how many people here cringe? All right. And those of you who never cringe? That's most people, but... Okay, there's no psychopaths tonight, then. <laughs> <laughs> I want to change my answer now because I remembered something from 1990 that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Oh, God damn it. Okay, um... <laughs> The, only, I know we the, the, the only way to get it out of your system is to tell it. Okay, so I was in seventh grade, sixth grade, and uh, uh, I, I've talked about this on so, stage. So I aged have, about 11. What's that? Aged around 11. I'm just I translating. Was, I, was, I was 12. I was 12 right. years old, and I was dating. Whatever you do when you have a, a girl, you're sort of whatever. And we would talk on the phone every night. This ended up being the girl who threw the shit at Hillary Clinton that I talked about in stand-up. So oh, yeah. she had later fame. She went crazy. Um, but... Someone had told a joke at school that day in sixth grade that, that involved masturbation. Like, you wouldn't have gotten the joke if, it, if you didn't know what masturbation was. And we were on the phone with each other at night, and, um, and, and I was like, I'm not, she's like, what did, that, what did it mean? What? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what it meant. I'm not going to tell you what it meant. And then um, she finally got me to cave, and I didn't hear this click. This is when it's all landlines, and there are multiple phones in a house. <laughs> And um, I didn't realize her father had just picked up the phone. <laughs> oh, no. And, and I said, Al so it was a click. Allison, do you know what masturbation is? <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, and then it, I heard an adult male's voice that I didn't recognize say, Allison, get off the phone right now. <laughs> and I still think about that at least once a week. <laughs> I, I had a little one the other week, which uh, I mentioned in the show now. I've got larger stories that I won't ruin right now, but, uh, but it was one where I walked into a, a gents in one of the clubs, and, uh, and I realized there was a woman by the basin, so I, I walked into the wrong toilet, so I, I started backing out. But then she noticed me and stared at me really hard, like it, almost like I was, I was dangerous for entering a woman's space. So I made a bit of an over-the-top speech. I'm really sorry, I've walked into the wrong toilet. 
I'll, I'll leave. And I, I started walking out, and she was staring at me really angrily. And as I left, I closed the door, and I realised it was the gents, and I'd just taken the piss out of a man with long hair. Kerry, <laughs> 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 uh, which other Australian festivals are you going to be hitting up so, as well? Cause... Yeah, I'll be at Adelaide and then on to Melbourne. So it's a big tour, three, three months. I know we've got a lot of Australians. Yeah, so go, go, definitely go and see Kerry. You've got one more chance here if, to see him do his full Before I bleed event. to death. <laughs> he needs money to buy iron and uh, <laughs> leafy vegetables. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> so find Kerry and also Kerry Marks on, at Kerry Marks on Twitter. KerryMarks.com. Uh, Kerry Marks on Twitter, and I've just joined Instagram because I'm yeah. one of the kids now. Well done, Kerry. Kerry dot Marks because apparently there's already a Kerry Marks. Who'd have thought that? Uh, C A R E Y. There's no other Kerrys. Anyone know a Kerry? I know exactly. You know another Kerry? You, you know the spelling, but do you know the per- do you know a person with that spelling? A first name Kerry? Yeah. Really? C A R E Y? Yeah. All right. Her. Him. <laughs> Story sounding doubtful. <laughs> Was it? Wait, isn't I, I have met. I've met one other Carrie. Princess uh, Bride, right? Huh? Princess Bride, Carrie Yules, isn't he Carrie that way? Spell C A R. Wesley, Dread Pirate Roberts, C A R. I know there are other Carries. I'm just saying it's not a common name, is it? But it turned out. It turned out there is someone called Carrie Marks who lives one road away from me. And I met him, this is true, I met him, I'll tell you this story very quickly, but I met him at a comedy club, uh, um, which you all know, the King's Head in Crouchham, where mm-hmm. we used to live. And, uh, and, and what it was, I, I was in the dressing room, and I was telling the guys in the dressing room before I went on stage about how I'd had a call from a man called Nick from a comedy c- uh, club trying to book me. I spoke to him for several minutes, and I realised that I was actually speaking to a different Nick. I'd rung a different number, and it turned out none of the digits were the same. I'd rung a different Nick, right, who turned out to be a comedian who had quit for a while and was thinking of coming back to the circuit. <laughs> so that was a really weird coincidence. At that point, the guys in the dressing room then told me a story, the Bob Dylan story of Crouch End. Do you know this? No. All right. So uh, Bob, Bob Dylan, back in the 80s, went to record an album in Crouch End in North London, and he was supposed to go to 12A Crouch End Hill, but instead he went to uh, 12A Crouch End Road, and he's, so it was Dave Stewart who used to have a studio there. So he knocked on the door and he said, it's Dave in, but he's at the wrong house. Uh, and the person who opened the door said, Dave has just popped out. He'll be back in a few minutes. Come in and have a cup of tea. About ten minutes later, some bloke called Dave, who, is, who was a huge Bob Dylan fan, comes in and finds Bob Dylan sitting in his kitchen having a cup of tea. Right. So we were just exchanging these stories. And at that moment, they said, let's start the show. So I went to walk out and do the show. And as I opened the door, a guy was sitting in front of me. He said, are you Kerry Marks? And I said, yes. Yeah. He said, hi, I'm Kerry Marks. And it turns out he lives uh, just like a road away from me. <laughs> Bob Dylan also has he's got one of his hobbies is tracking down other musicians childhood homes and visiting them and I can't remember which one he was visiting on tour Uh, but he was in some city and he was in tour and he was visiting and he just went to look at a house but if you don't recognise Bob Dylan it's just a strange old man staring through the window of a house (laughs) and a young cop who didn't recognise Bob Dylan like, basically pulled up and asked him what he was doing and he said I'm Bob Dylan and I'm just on tour I'm playing up the road 
And the problem with that story is there's two different kinds of people who, when asked by a cop, who are you, say, I'm Bob Dylan. <laughs> and one of them is Bob Dylan. <laughs> and the other far more common group of people... <laughs> it's not Bob Dylan. Uh, uh, okay, so go and see Carrie Marks, the, the, the comedian Carrie Marks, not his neighbour. Go see my neighbour. The non-comedian Carrie Marks. He's like a solid guy, though. Uh, you can find us probablyscience.com and on Twitter at probablyscience individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen we've got a couple more dates left on this Australian tour uh, I think by the time you listen to this podcast we probably won't but anyone in the room if you know people in Brisbane Melbourne or Sydney spread the word we're going to be up there uh, and once again thank you so much to everyone here at the court uh, and at the festival for letting us do this and particularly our amazing bartender slash first aid guy yes uh, wow because, uh, and Dan Willis for setting this up and inspiring Australia for helping us get out here. Uh, and thank you, you guys, so much for coming out here. This is amazing. I'm so we love you all. We do love you. So Andy thank you. doesn't. What the fuck? He hates you. What have I we done? We do. I love you guys. Drinks are on me. Wait, no, no. Hold on a second. <laughs> we are going to go downstairs, though, and have a drink. So if you want to join us, uh, we're going to be hanging out and having a drink for a while. But listen, Perth, thank you so much for yeah, letting us do this. Guys. We will see best. you soon, I hope. Take care. Cheers, guys. And thank you again, Kerry Marks, everyone. Kerry Marks. Have a great night, everybody.